we're in a powerful series. The name of this series is Sustained. There's a principle in the Word of God that you've got to know. God wants to sustain you in every area of your life. He doesn't want you to sustain yourself. He doesn't want you to try to figure it all out. He's already figured it all out, right? We don't decide, even decide who we are or what we do. We discover it as we walk with him. We're going to talk today about the place of Jehovah Jireh. It's the place of provision. And uh, we have to, we really need to talk about that. So let's open our Bibles to John chapter 17, verse 3. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, there's in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there are seven predominant redemptive names of God. They reveal his nature and his character, they reveal things about him. We have Jehovah Rapha. That means that I am the Lord, your healer. Or I am the Lord that heals you. Aren't you glad for that? That's one of the characteristics in the nature of God. He's a healer. If you keep going, Jehovah Sidkenu is I am the Lord, your righteousness. Aren't you glad that Jesus was made to be sin so that we would be made the very righteousness of Almighty God in Christ? God saying, I am the Lord, your righteousness. Jehovah Shammah, I love this one. I am the Lord who is present. He is our ever-present help in the time of need. When you go through the waters, he's with you. When you go through the fire, he's with you. Therefore, these things do not even leave a residue on you. Isn't that good? He is the Lord who is always present. Whether you feel like it or not, the God of all creation is present in your life. Jehovah Shalom. I am the Lord, your peace. He gives us a peace It's one of the fruits of our spirit. And as we stir, as we stir stir ourselves, how do you do this? How do you walk in the peace of God? The Bible says things like, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. In other words, talk to God about everything. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Why? Well, as we're learning Wednesday night, Thanksgiving is a spiritual force that literally puts things in motion to connect you to your victory. And it says when you do that, in other words, you're talking. You're bringing the word up. You're stirring yourself. And then it says the peace of God, which is not of this world, will mount guard over your heart and over your mind through Christ. Wow, I am the Lord, your peace. I love this one, Jehovah Raha. I am the Lord, your shepherd. Psalm 23 tells us the Lord is my shepherd and therefore I'll never lack. I'll never diminish. I'll never decrease. He's my shepherd. Jehovah Nisi. I love this one. I am the Lord, your banner. 
when you dig, that, that doesn't really make sense to us in this. But literally, a banner, what, what does that mean? As you walk and as you speak the word of God, see, the, the Bible says when the enemy comes in, the Bible says like a flood, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God will raise up a standard against him. That word standard in the Hebrew language means a banner. Well, the redemptive name of God goes a little bit further. Jehovah Nisi, you can say this, I am the Lord, your refuge. See, as you, as the Holy Spirit lifts that up, and what what that is, is you're standing there and you resist Satan with the word. What happens now is you are in that inaccessible place of refuge where now you're beyond the enemy's reach. He is Jehovah Nisi. Today, I want to focus on the last of the seven redemptive names, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. I am the Lord, your provider. He's our provider. Notice your career, your investments are not your provider. He is your provider. Your provision is birthed in heaven, so therefore the earth system cannot stop that. The Bible says while the earth remains, certain things can never pass away. They're outside the realm of Satan being able to change those. Day and night, heat and cold, the seasons. And then here's that fourth one that doesn't even seem to fit, but it really fits. Seed, time, and harvest. As God leads you and as you sow you will increase. It's outside the realm of Satan. But it, you, do, you don't increase by adding. It, you increase by multiplying. Everything with God, it multiplies. Psalm 34, 8 says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Psalm 125, verse 1, right? They that trust in the Lord shall be like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. See, I trust him because I know him, and all of my trust is in him. But I've got a taste, I've got a taste before I can see. If you look at the Old Testament tabernacle, Where the Holy of Holies was, it was covered with gopher fur. It just looked brown, looked like nothing to be desired at all, but on the inside it was glorious. God is saying, come on, taste, and then you'll see that I'm good. These seven redemptive names, the New Testament literally has all of those names in the New Testament. And it's summed up in one name. Jesus. All of those names. He is our everything. So why does God give these different names? John 17, 3, what does it say? And this is life eternal, right? 
that you may know the one true God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. See, God gave us these names because he wants us to partake of his very nature so that we can be transformed into his very image. We have to partake of his very nature to be transformed into his very image. This is a huge thing. In 1 Corinthians, and if you have your Bibles, you could turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 12, I want you to set your eyes on this scripture. These are huge. I would encourage you, make it a point to become a student of the word this year. It's not enough to come listen to a sermon. You need to get this in you, right? The office that I stand in, Everything that I teach will equip you to go walk out God's plan for your life. Isn't that hilarious? God will minister through a man and take the imperfections of where I am, but if I follow him, it's perfect. Or if you're hungry, it'll be perfect. Right? This is a fun environment to preach in in our church. For now, 14 years, it's been really fun. People are so hungry. You guys are so hungry. I'm hungry. We're just all, you know, I could tell your, your spirit's just, just salivating all over yourself right now, right? Because you love God so much. Second, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, it says this. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit of the which is of God. When we got born again, we received the mighty Holy Spirit and he's on the inside of us. Why? That we may know the things that are freely given to us by God. So God says, listen, eternal life is that you would know me. And then now, in order to do that, this is why we had to be born again. You had to be made a brand new spirit man because the, the spirit man that you were before salvation, because you were spiritually dead, the Holy Spirit could not dwell in you. So you could never know the things that are freely given to you by God. So he made you brand new. The Holy Spirit took up residency in your heart and everything works by love. So he shed the agape love of God abroad in your heart, which enables you to love unconditionally. And now that that's happened, now you can now know everything that God has freely given you. You could sum up everything that God has given you in one name, Jesus, right? I mean, he is our everything. So then if you jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in verse 18, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Hallelujah. As you're going there, realize this. The Holy Spirit is your helper. He is the one. He'll lead you and guide you into all these things that God has given you. If you're facing something in your life right now and you need healing, it's already been provided for you and the Holy Spirit will lead you into it. 
in your career, the Holy Spirit will lead you in because his design for your career is not that you be number two. He makes you the head and not the tail. He desires, see the blessing of Abraham is upon you. It will make you the head because he wants to exalt you to the top of your field so that you're, so that people could see Jesus. So this is why in the Old Testament, God said, listen, when you're blessed, don't forget. Don't forget why you're blessed. And see, we as New Testament believers, we live in that as well. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, this is a principle. And we're laying a foundation to look at Abraham. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this, But we all... With an open face, this means an unveiled face, beholding as in a glass, that would be the Greek word for mirror, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, what happens now, we are changed. We are, as the Greek word would read, we are metamorphosed. We are transfigured. We are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So how am I going to show Jesus on the outside? I have to peer. This is the mirror. Right? And, and the Bible says, as I peer into the mirror, well, how do I do that? I meditate in his word day and night. I never let his word depart from my mouth. I never let it depart from my eyes. I always incline my ear to it. I keep his word in the midst of my heart because his word is life to me as I find it. But as I peer into this, now, see this word metamorpho that's used here, it's a real interesting word. It's also used in Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word is found one other place, and it was when at the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus was transfigured, that's the same Greek word, metamorphosed. What, who, who he was on the inside, his glory shone on the outside. The Bible says, how is the glory of God going to come out of the church? As we meditate in the word of God, as you peer into Jesus, you literally become. You're changed, you're metamorphosed, you're transformed, you're transfigured into his very image. How? From glory to glory. Now that sounds glorious, but here's kind of glory to glory. You're walking through life and here comes a storm. And the enemy's trying to stop the plan of God. But as you keep your eyes on Jesus, you go right through the storm and the glory of God is seen. It starts to pull on the outside of you. What do we mean by that? You start talking like Jesus talked. You walk fearless like he walked fearless. You speak to circumstances. You take thoughts captive. You resist Satan the way he did, right? How does it all work? It all starts by you peering into the Lord. I'm here to tell you today, there's greatness in every one of you. Christianity is not about positive thinking. It's, it's about unlimited thinking. 
It's about knowing in your life the battle is already over. It, it, it's, the game is already over. You've already won. Jesus won it for you. But yeah, but pastor, man, I'm right here in the middle of this thing. My body's hurting. My situation in my life, it's just flooding me. No, you've already won. And when you realize that, then you'll speak in line with that and you'll walk through it. The Bible says all things are possible to him that believes. The Bible says with men, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He's the God who opens a door that no man can shut, that shuts doors that no man can open. We've got to get this down on the inside of us. Hallelujah. So we learn that what we do in whatever situation we're in, we find our answer in the word of God. That's how we know his will. And then we renew our minds to it. And then we will walk in the victory of it. Everything. So the word of God is everything. I base my whole life on the word of God. Everything. It keeps me in the right place. It's a lamp to my feet. Right? It's a light to my path. I love God. And that's why I keep his word. It keeps me walking right in life. So now I want to I take this uh, time and go through and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12 because I want to look at the man Abraham. This is a guy at 75 years old that God came to him and spoke to him. Genesis chapter 12 in verse 1. It says, now the Lord had said unto Abram. So this happened when Abraham, or Abram, God changed his name to Abraham later. But when he came to Abram, he was 75 years old. He says, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. So now that, that doesn't seem like a big deal today. But in that culture... Where Abram lived, he was a first son. He was an heir of everything. He grew up, he was in an affluent house. So him leaving, he was literally leaving all of his security. Now, I mean, he could take, he, he took with him things that were his, but I mean, you're, you're just, we're, could you imagine somebody comes to you and goes, hey, you know, we're moving. Well, where are you moving? Well, I, I don't really know. Wherever God shows me. People would be like, what? Right? But this is what happened with Abram. And it says here, and I will show you. I will show you. Go to a land that I will show you. See, what we learn from this verse is our part is to separate ourselves from the world system and learn God's system. That's what God was telling Abram. He's saying, Abram, you've been living this way for 75 years, and now I want you to get rid of all of that, and I want you to live according to my system. Now, this is what I want you to see about Abram. God told him, I will make you a great nation, 
And I, now he had no kids when he said this. And I will bless thee and I will make thy name great and you will be a blessing. That's the blessing of Abraham that is upon us. God said this, I'll bless you. We see one more chapter later that God made Abram rich. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing to others. Here is the big thing about Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. There are tons of people who hear the word like we do and they think, yeah, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. And because because of where we are in life, we think that Jehovah Jireh is God providing for me. But Jehovah Jireh is not just a redemptive name of God. Jehovah Jireh is a place. See, the word Jehovah is used 5,000 times in the Bible. I wonder if, God, I wonder if, if possibly God wants us to know that he is the self-existent one who always reveals himself. But we've created seminaries and we have people with a lot of letters beyond their name that have figured out that we never can know what God's going to do. Yet he put his spirit in us so that we can know the things that he gave us. I guess I'm just not maybe developed enough intellectually for that to mess me up, right? So, so we see this Jehovah 5,000 times. Jireh, it's only used about a provider, only used about 1,304 times in the Bible. Only. Right? But there's only one place in the Bible where God is called Jehovah Jireh. And we're going to read that story. And you're going to find out that Abraham called the place Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh is a place, and it's not just a place where you're provided for. It's a place where you're provided for, and it comes to you and then goes through you and literally blesses all the nations of the earth. So as you're sitting here today, now, now when did this whole thing start for Abram? 75? Most people think about, well, I want to retire before then. He's just getting started at 75. That's pretty awesome, right? See, this, this whole concept, you've got to be careful when you live in the world system. It will make, it'll put, it'll make you put your trust in things that you're not to put your trust in. It, and it'll produce pride. Because if you start doing pretty good, you'll start thinking it's all because of you. Right? So let's keep going with this. Verse 2, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Verse 3, and I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse him that curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That blessing is on you right now. It's an amazing. Now, now this is what I want you to see. So God said this to Abraham. He was called Abram at the time. But then verse 4, so Abram departed. That slaps me in the face and I'm like, wow. I get a picture of this man. 
God spoke to him and he instantly obeyed. You know, I told him myself Saturday, God very profoundly called me. I mean, I, I literally was in small groups. I, I sensed the call of God on my life on, in this church. And this church was, was pastored by a Methodist pastor that, that he had this Methodist church in Southern California. And people in his church started going to this convention center in Anaheim where this guy named Kenneth Copeland was, was, was teaching the word. And, and, and these, these Methodist dear people in his church were coming back talking in a language that he didn't know. And, 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 and you know, they were saying, man, you gotta, you gotta have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So being the good Methodist pastor that Wayne was, he took his Bible, his notepad, and his pen, and he went to the Anaheim Convention Center to completely take notes and disprove because this was not scriptural. Pastor Wayne told me, I thought it was not scriptural right up until a power hit me. Because I just, I literally, he said he was sitting there and he was seeing things and sensing things in his spirit that he had never seen. And he just said, Lord, if this really is you, baptize me. And that's all he got out of his mouth. Baptize me in the Shanda Makondara Vashi. And it freaked him out. And he left that place and he's like, okay, I've got a dilemma now. He was an all American soccer player at the University of Maryland. His dad played for the St. Louis Cardinals. His brother played baseball in the ACC for North Carolina, has all, had all these records, real athletic family. And uh, man, we had a softball team, a church softball team. I remember we were, out, we were out one time and there was this high jumping thing with a mat. And Pastor Wayne goes, you know, I could break the, the world record in the high jump. And I mean, he was about five, six. And, I, and I'm like, you know, you know, I was young and stupid. And I'm like, yeah, Pastor, uh, I, know, I know you'd never lie, but that, that's kind of crazy. And he goes, yeah, watch. And, and they put the bar up over the world record. I, I don't know what it was. It was like 7'10 or something like that. So he goes, I'll just put it up to eight feet. And I'm sitting there, and his brother Kevin is laughing. And he runs, and he does this flip, and he j- vaults off the ground. And now he's not jumping the way a normal high jumper would do it. He was kind of a gymnast, too. But he went right over the bar, landed on his feet on the, on the pad. And I just instantly said, wow, I'll never doubt my pastor again as long as I live, right? <laughs> But he ended up leaving the Methodist denomination, starting a church, and that's where I found the call of God. So here I am, I'd go to Calvary Chapel with Chuck Smith, and I was in these small groups, you know, and to, to possibly be a Calvary pastor, I was young, and, uh, and I really thought I was going to do it. You know, Chuck said, he goes, you know, I see the call of God on you. So I go, well, I need to talk to my pastor. And while I was talking to my pastor, or before I talked to him, you know, you sit in kind of a hallway to go see somebody. You're flipping through a magazine. Well, I'd never heard of Rhema. I'd never heard of a Word of Faith magazine. But when I opened it up to, and I saw Rhema Bible Training Center, the Lord very specifically, kind of like what he said to Abram. Abram, leave your family and go to a place I show you. What did Abram do? He gets up the next morning and he departs. Or, or at least soon after, he instantly obeys. What did Tony Finley do? Well, I was 20 years old. 
and I never got to reign until I was 30. Knew that I was supposed to pioneer a church someday. Never did that till I was 45. So this story, man, I had to make some changes. Why, why did I take so long? Did I just point my finger at God and say, no, I'm not going to do it? No, we don't do that, do we? We just kind of walk around and go, la, 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 la. Let me pray about that. Oh, I got some things going on. Let me, you know, I'll go do some prison ministry. I'll do this. I'll do all kinds of stuff in ministry. Maybe he'll leave me alone. Right? But that's the same. You're going to see this about Jehovah Jireh. You have to walk in obedience to get to the place of Jehovah Jireh. Right? So let's keep looking at this. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Now let's look at a picture of what happened to this man. We find it in Romans chapter 4. So we see he left. We have all the Old Testament stories. We have all this stuff going on. But now in Romans chapter 4, he's believing God for a child. God says to him, Romans chapter 4, verse 17. Now, the story is found in Genesis 17. About verse 5 is when this happens. But in Romans, it tells us, as it is written, God said to Abram, I have made thee a father of many nations. Now, God spoke this to Abram before he ever had children. So think about this. Never had kids. How many 75-year-old men are thinking, I mean, if God came to a 75-year-old man right now and said, you're going to have a son, most 75-year-old men would be like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> but Abram, you know, they really wanted a son. He's married to this gorgeous woman who could not bear children when she was younger, so she would have been 65 because she was about 10 years younger than Abram, right? So this happens, this promise happens. And then it goes on, God tells about himself, before him whom he believed, even God, who's God, he quickens the dead, he makes dead things alive, aren't you glad, right? And calls those things which be not as though they were. Then it says in verse 18, who against hope, believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Now look at Abraham. This was his, he was a guy who instantly obeyed the Lord. Did he ever make mistakes? Absolutely. We're dealing with the Ishmael mistake just a little bit, right? We don't hear much about the whole Muslim thing now because it's all about a virus, right? All about an election, but, but we will again, right? So Abraham didn't do everything right. It's not how you start your race. It's how you finish your race, right? So it says here in verse 19, and being not weak in faith. Well, if you're not weak in faith, what are you? Strong in faith. What did he do? He considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. So now 25 years has gone by, 
And now he's, he's, it took him 25 years to get strong in faith. Did it have to take that long? Nope. But it did. So he's, now he's a hundred. I mean, most hundred year old guys would be like, well, you know, I wouldn't mind having sex, but my body's not, not able to really do that. But man, having a baby at 100 years old, right? But it says here, he didn't consider his body. In other words, he didn't let his body tell him what he could or could not have. In other words, he believed God. All he had was God's word. All you and I have is God's word. But Abram only had it once in a while. God only spoke to him once in a while. You know, God will speak to you all day, every day. We are to go way, way, way beyond Abram. It says here, neither yet, he didn't consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. She couldn't have kids when she was younger. Now she's 90 and she, he didn't even consider that. He's like, well, God said. Notice, see, what do we do? We believe God and Satan jumps on our shoulder and goes, well, how is God going to do that? Can you tell me how? Because what he's trying to do is separate you from your faith. He wants to get your eyes off Jesus and try to figure it out. How? How is my body going to be healed? How am I going to come out of this financial situation? How is this going to be healed? My marriage healed? How's, How's my relationship with my kids? Forget the how. The how is his deal. Right? See, we always want to think about the how why do we do that? Because we don't think about, want to think about our part. If you be willing, and get ready, can you, hear, can you handle it? And obedient. Ouch. Right? Your flesh goes ouch and ouch. Your spirit's down there going, yeah, I can do that. Right? Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now look at this, verse 20 He staggered not. This means he didn't oppose. He didn't differ with. He didn't contend with. He didn't try to be in two, have two minds. That's what people do, right? If you stagger, well, I think I'm healed. You know, it's getting better. Then all of a sudden it gets worse. Well, I guess I'm not healed. No, he never did that. He never did that. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Doesn't matter how long it takes. Time time tests faith. But when you're in faith, time is a non-issue. Why? Because I've already believed that I've received. I know God. He already said this is mine. So I have it. You might not see it, but you will. And I'm not moved by any of this. You have a Satan. you, You know, Satan will ask you, well, how? Okay, so you have valves in your heart. That, that they had open heart surgery on you and they had to do this and this and they said you'd never be the same. Listen, Satan, I don't care how he does it. How, how's he going to fix my heart? I, that's not my deal. How's he going to fix my lung? Listen, he could either fix this one or put a new one in. Whatever, I don't care, right? But I know he said... Jesus himself bore my sickness and carried my pain. So this is not mine. 
Jesus said, it is said about the, in the word of God, which is forever settled in heaven, that Jesus was made poor on that cross so that I, through his poverty, might be made rich. He said that I've been redeemed from the curse of the law, right? Because Jesus was made a curse for me. Why? So that I can receive the promise of the spirit and be born again. And so that the blessing of Abraham could come upon me. It's upon me right now. When I go to a doctor and when I fill this out, you know, what did your mom or dad have? What did your grandparents have? You know, because all this genetic coding that comes down, you know, you know, this person had cancer, so then, then they had cancer, and so I guess I'm going to have to have cancer. Not anymore. Because when you're born again now, see, we know we know that the spiritual root of all sickness and disease is satanic. It's a result of the fall. And we've been redeemed from it. I've been redeemed from spiritual death. Every one of my sins was condemned once and for all in the body of Jesus. I am forever forgiven. Isn't that awesome? He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. You always have that. You're never going to see strong faith without strong thanksgiving, strong worship. Faith, there's no wine in the mouth of somebody who walks by faith. Faith never feels sorry for itself. Why? There's nothing to feel sorry for. God's given it to me. It's mine. Does it mean I'll ever get frustrated? Oh, yeah, your flesh will get frustrated. You got to tell your flesh, calm down. No, we're getting stronger every day. Right? I mean, bud, you're a walking miracle. But I, I bet you'd like to probably just go do things today and you'd just like to just wake up in the morning and just be all better right now, right? But you've had to sit here and go, okay, I'm going to get better tomorrow. And tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. Pretty soon, you kind of forget about it because you got your eyes on the Lord and all of a sudden, you make a leap. And all of a sudden, something that was bugging you is not bugging you anymore. This is the way this works. Look at what it says in verse 21. This man was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Now, now this is the thing. There's so many people in the United States right now that would say, well, see, I do believe God's able to do every, anything. But they've sat under about 300 years of, of, of false sovereignty teaching. And they're like, well, God is able, but is he willing? Notice that was never an issue with Abraham. That is God willing. That was created by religion. I mean, if you went to God, I mean, even the leper, Jesus, one of the 19 cases, Jesus, I know you can heal me, but will you? Guy was full of leprosy, probably had missing body parts, skin falling off of him, all this stuff, probably didn't have a nose. He was full of leprosy. A very, I mean, you're a walking dead person. Jesus looked at him, and in the Greek language it says, of course I will. I always will. Literally laid his hands on the leprous person. 
And the guy was made whole. See, this whole thing about is God willing, that's ridiculous. If you want to know if he's willing, read the word. It doesn't say some of the promises of God are yes and amen. It says all of them. It doesn't say that God heals some. There's not one scripture that he heals some and not others. There's a ton of scriptures that says there's no variableness in him. What he's done for one, he's done for all. He's no respecter of persons. He is sitting in, he's sitting in the face of all humanity saying, listen, I'm not mad at you. Do you know the only thing between the worst, what we would consider the worst person on this planet and God, a holy God, you know the only thing? You would maybe think it's their sin, but it's not. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us God is not imputing. He's not accounting their sins. So the only thing between the holy God and the rankest sinner is Jesus. And by the way, you know, we think in degrees, but God, sin is sin. Now, there's, now he does list some things that really displeases him, right? But you know what we see that really displeases God? You see it in the life of Jesus. You see it in the Old Testament with God. Is when people do not believe what he says. What pleases him? Faith. Why? Because he's a giver. He wants people to have what he's given them. I love this. See, most people, they get really excited about the blessing of Abraham. Oh, I just want to be blessed. I'm coming to Faith Family Church. Pastor, have a, just, just stir me up emotionally. Tell me how blessed I am. Because I just want to be blessed. And in the secret of their own life, they never lay hold of anything. Because they don't understand that you're not going to walk in the blessing of Abraham unless you embrace the obedience of Abraham. Let's look at Genesis 22. I want to read a story to you. Genesis 22, verse 1. We love the result, but we don't appreciate the process that produces the result. But guys, God wants you content where you are on the way to where you're going. Don't be afraid of obedience. See, we understand that obedience, walking holy before God, that's not something we do in our own strength. That's why we don't judge anybody. Man, the only difference between what this person's do. See, I, I have no concept of why anybody would be an alcoholic. I grew up in an alcoholic home. My goal in life when I was in high school was not to throw my dad, my stepdad, through the sliding glass door in our 35-foot trailer that I lived in. In order to do that, I had to get to the point where I had to sleep in the back of our Suburban in Illinois. You know, because I couldn't be in the house too long. Living in a 35-foot travel trailer, I had to duck when I went underneath the air conditioning unit in the ceiling. I could almost touch the walls it was eight feet wide, you know. My bed was a, a couch that you pulled the back down and it would go flat and it had this 
space in between the two pads about this thick. And both my mom and dad smoked in a 35-foot travel trailer, secondhand smoke. Wow, right? So I would sleep in the back of a Suburban. I have no concept what it is like to want alcohol. I would actually beat people up if they were drunk around me, if I could. I was only invited to one party in high school. Took a guy in a bedroom, knocked him out, and left the party, never went back. I couldn't be around it because it angered me so much. I'd be on Skid Row in Chicago protecting my mom and dad as we went to see my dad's brothers who were just, you know, wiped out on Skid Row for alcoholism. But I could tell you this, if I started forcing myself to think about, you know, I'd want a drink. You know, I just have to have a drink of alcohol. And if I just started thinking about that and then I started speaking that all the time, and then I started just walking into liquor stores all the time, going to bars, do you know eventually... I would give in to my flesh and I'd have that first drink and it might be like, put some more juice in that. But you know, eventually I'd probably be taking just straight shots of whatever and I could even develop into an alcoholic. You know the only difference between the guy that's about to die on skid row of alcoholism and me? Do you know the only difference? Jesus. So this is why we minister to people. See, guys, you're self-programmable. You could meditate in the word. You could change every way that you think to come in line with the word of God and walk like Jesus walked. So Genesis 22, let's look at this. In order to walk in the blessing of Abraham, we must go through this uh, process of obedience. So in Genesis 22.1, it says, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Now, now, God, now Abraham, this is, this is fast forwarded. He's already got Isaac, his son. Him and Sarah are walking in the blessing. They named their son Isaac, right? It means laughter because Isaac was the joy of their life. So he's walked in all of this stuff And after all of it, God tempted Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. God was testing the faith of Abraham. Shame on you. You're a Ramagrad. Brother Hagen just rolled over in his grave. You're saying that God tempted the faith of Abraham. No, no, the Bible says it. This word tempt, I don't really like the way it was translated by the King James translators because this Hebrew verb, it's the Hebrew verb nasah. It literally means to test or to prove. So now let's set this right because you've got to get this to understand the Old Testament. Did, did God test Abraham's faith? Yes. Did God test Abraham's faith because he didn't know where he was? No, he saw every day of Abraham's life right here. Was God trying to test Abraham so that Abraham could prove to him? No, because God already knew. He already fast-forwarded seeing that Abraham would obey him. 
Abraham would do this. And God already, he sees the end from the beginning, right? So could it be, see, if you study this whole thing, when you test, every time God tested with this Hebrew verb, every time it was for the purpose of bringing them into a position of obedience so that they can lay hold of the blessing of God. Every time, different Hebrew word that Satan tempts, it is for the purpose of bringing a person to disobedience so that he can steal, kill, and destroy. That's the difference. With God, it's always to lift up. Who did God want to prove? God wanted to, God wanted to prove to Abraham. Right? God already knew. So let's get that right. So here we go. He was tested to show him where he was. Look at what he said, though, in verse 22. And he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and get into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell you of. So now we're going, whoa. Abraham, see, I read this as a New Testament believer. I'm like, Mount Moriah? Time out. That's where Jesus was crucified. That's where God offered his only son. So now we see a little bit more into this plan. See, sometimes you won't understand. Now, does God ever tempt you or test you by putting sickness or disease on you? Well, no. That's ridiculous. But you know, you're going to be tested today by God, by Jesus Himself, who is the Word of God. Somebody cuts you off on the way home, and all of a sudden your flesh rises up, and the Word will come up in your heart. Somebody does you wrong, and you want to lay hands on them suddenly. And this verse comes up. Do good to those that despitefully use you. Forgive. So right now you're in a test. And it's an open book test. And you even actually know the answer. Aren't you glad the teacher has unlimited mercy? Man. If I was ever in an AP physics class or AP chemistry, I would want Pastor Edwin to be my teacher. Because if I just messed up and came to him and said, okay, I've been talking bad about you, I haven't studied, I haven't even liked you, but man, I'm in trouble, will you help me? What do you, what do you guys think Pastor Edwin would say? Sure. Right? He'd even freak people out and go, yeah, of course I would, I love you. Right? So, so this is interesting. So look at this. Now we see there's a bigger plan that Abraham didn't know about. I wonder if you ever face anything and it's a bigger plan. Because see, remember, the place of Jehovah Jireh is that you are blessed and that blessing comes through you and blesses your life and fills your life, but then it goes out from you and it blesses the whole world. Every one of us. You are to change the world while you are here. 
right? So God was very specific where Abraham was to go and what he was to do. He was very specific. Look at what happened. See, you'll see how you practice, you play the way you practice. Once again, verse, verse three, and Abraham rose up early in the morning. He didn't hesitate. He instantly obeyed. Now he knew what a burnt offering was. That means you tie the animal, or in this case, you tie your son, you slit his throat, and all of the blood pours out, and then you burn his body to ashes. Now, if you look at the Hebrew wording, it's really interesting, because God told him, I want you to offer your son. Actually, in the Hebrew wording, God really never said, I want you to kill your son. It's really interesting. That's a whole other story. It says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and get into the land of Moriah. Offer him for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I, would t- which I will tell you of. So once again, here's Abraham. He's heading to the land of Moriah. Which mountain? I don't know. I got to wait. I gotta, the Holy Spirit's going to lead me. Who led Jesus into the wilderness? The Holy Spirit. Verse 3 And Abraham rose up early in the morning. He didn't hesitate. He instantly obeyed. You see this. This is a huge thing. He saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering. He cut the wood up, rose up, and went unto the place which God told him. Interesting. Instant obedience. What do you think was happening in his mind when he's cutting the wood? Thinking, wow. Do you think Satan might have been on his shoulder going, what, you know, dude, you're a hundred and some years old now. And nobody, there's nobody, there's no heir. You kill Isaac and it's over. Right? But look at what it says. Verse four, and then on the third day, what? God... You're going to make me go on a three-day journey? Could you imagine what Satan was doing with his mind for three days? But he didn't have the word like we have. He didn't have the spirit of God in us like we do. He just had a word. It doesn't even say God talked to him anymore after he told him. Abraham, go do this. The end. That's amazing. All he had was one of the times when God met with him. He said, listen, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through your son Isaac. That's all he had. God talked to him about that one time. And that was enough for him because he was fully persuaded that what God said he would do. He was fully persuaded right here in Genesis 22. He was fully persuaded. Listen, I'm going to slit the throat of my son. I'm going to burn his body to ashes and God is going to raise him back up. How? Notice that was never an issue. But that issue is prevalent in word of faith circles today. How? I got to know how. Here's your how. God. Right? So then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said, look at this, unto his young men, Abraham said, 
abide here with the donkey and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. In other words, faith always speaks. Faith always tells the end result. Right? You gotta, you, th- these are, this is huge. Notice that this three-day journey was not easy. It was not comfortable. And it was not convenient. I said this to the men Saturday. God does not call you and I to convenient love. He calls us to covenant love. We just love. I I love you. My love for you is not based on what you do towards me. Does that make sense? That's the love of God. Convenient love is not based on being easy. It's not based on taking the easy road. See, many say, well, I'll do this if it's easy for me. Well, I, you know, I can't. I'm just really busy. I just, I, you know, I don't want to usher because I need to sit in every service. And, and, and I don't, I don't, you know, I can't work, Teresa, I can't work in children's ministry because, you know, I, I, I got to be in the service because I got to hear the word. And, 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 you know, and I'm surely not going to be a greeter because, man, you know, uh, or I'm not going to work in the welcome center. I, I don't want to do any of that because, you know, I, I'm, I do this for work. I'm kind of the boss. So, I, you know, this is a little bit below me, but I'll, but I'll come. Okay. That's okay as long as God's not telling you to do this. You know, I've, I've, I've almost begged parents in all the years of youth ministry, don't be a Sunday Christian. Because if you just bring your kids to church on Sunday and you get into that, you're going to be astounded when they go to college and want nothing to do with God. And I've seen it happen over and over. And I've seen people get mad at me as a pastor and leave the church. And their family's a disaster. I'm telling you guys, this is huge. So now verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it upon Isaac his son, took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke to his, Abraham his father and said, My father. And Abraham said, Here am I, son, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And then Abraham responds prophetically, doesn't even realize it. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself for a burnt offering. So they both, both of them went together. He didn't even realize he was prophesying that probably a few hundred feet away from that altar, Jesus was going to be crucified. See, one of the things God was doing, he does everything legal. He had to find a man that was willing to give his only son so that God, it would open the door legally for God to give his only son. So Abraham's faith is again demonstrated. See, look at, look at Abraham. Look at this situation and, and bring it into your life. Abraham could not fully comprehend God's command. He didn't have all the pieces. 
But he had absolute confidence in God's wisdom and he had absolute confidence in his love for him and his son. He had absolute confidence in it. He didn't understand. Verse 9. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. And look at this, and bound his son. Bound Isaac his son. So that means, I mean, I could tell you this. I wouldn't have been able to even catch my son. Or my daughter for that matter, right? So Isaac had to go, okay, I'm doing this. Obedience. Where did he learn the obedience from his father? Where are your kids going to learn obedience? Listen, don't let your unsaved kids or relatives or unsaved friends, don't let them dictate your life. You be led by the Spirit of God. Because obedience is how you go into the land of Jehovah Jireh, which causes you to yield all your fruit in your season. And it, and it blesses your life beyond anything you could imagine. The Bible says your eye hasn't seen, your ear hasn't heard, it hasn't even entered into your mind the glorious and wonderful things that God has for you. Amen. And your life is not only blessed... But your life is so blessed because your life is making a difference in the lives of people all over the world. How can you do that? I don't know the how. But I know that God's word is true. And laid him upon the altar, upon the wood, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now check this out. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven. Now this is a real interesting thing because you know in the Old Testament where it says the angel of the Lord, you know who that's talking about? Jesus. So the only son Jesus calls out to Abraham, stop. So this is Jesus talking to Abraham. The angel of the Lord called to, unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not your hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God. You reverence, you honor, and you respect God above all else, seeing you have not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted, now check out what happened. Result of obedience, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, where? Behind him. Behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Notice how exact. You never, when, when God told Joshua, you're going into the promised land, Josh, here's the deal. Don't seek my right hand or my left hand. Joshua would have known that's the right and left hand of wisdom. That is long, healthy life and riches and honor. Don't ever seek that. You meditate in my word. In other words, you Keep your eyes on me. Hebrews tells us as we run our race, we fix our eyes on Jesus. 
See, the prosperity message where it goes awry is if it has you looking for the things, that's not how you get them. The Bible says the blessing of God would overtake you. There's no possible way that the God's provision at the place of Jehovah Jireh would have been in front of Abraham. It had to be behind him because the blessing would come from behind and overtake him. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says the same thing. As you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. You know, Jeanette and I, we realized early on in our life, man, I, you know, I always believe, listen, families first, and then your service for God, and then everything else. And the Lord corrected me and said, where's that in the Bible? See, that's why I always ask you guys, if anybody has a question about the Bible or they say something to you, that just always ask them where it's at in the Bible. Because my Bible says I'm to seek first. So with our kids, we, we drew a circle. They might not even remember this. And we put God in the middle of that circle. Then the next circle was Jeanette and I. And then the outward circle was Sarah and David. And we told our kids, because we seek God first, man, we're going to be able to love you guys and be the parents that God wants us to be. I mean, church is never an option. We, you know, we live our life putting him first. Obedience, obedience, obedience. Do we ever mess up? Well, Jeanette really doesn't mess up, but I mess up for both of us. But it's okay. God's mercy, he told me this. He's never told Jeanette this because he doesn't have to. But he's told me this. He said, Tony, my mercy's greater than your disobedience. And his goodness always causes me to run to him. Always put God first because it's important for all of us to be in the place of Jehovah Jireh because we got to yield all our fruit in our season. And guys, we don't have a very long season left. And Ab- now look at this. And Abraham, verse 14, called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day in the mountain. Now I love this. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. That's what the King James translators translated. Here's what it says in the literal Hebrew. In the mount of the Lord, Jehovah will be seen. And Jehovah was seen. Notice it didn't say Jehovah Jireh will be seen. It didn't say Jehovah Nisi. Didn't say Jehovah Sidkenu. Didn't say Jehovah Shammah or Jehovah Shalom. It said Jehovah because in the mount, Jesus hung on a cross and he was seen. And he didn't say it was almost finished. He said it is finished. It's a complete work. See, many times, and I'll finish with this, we think only of the person of God, but God wants to take you places in him. Places in him. God will bring us to a certain place in our lives because he wants to do certain things in our lives. There's certain places in our attitudes that God needs to take us so that he can do some things. There's certain places in our relationship. There's certain places in faithfulness that God has to take you. 
There's certain places in your spiritual walk with him. There's certain places in your money, in your stewardship. When you talk stewardship, it's not only money, but it's time, it's your talents. Could it be that somebody's not in the place of Jehovah Jireh because they're not willing to usher once a month or not willing to, to watch a baby once a month? Yes. Now, I'm not saying this to try to get you to volunteer. That's between you and the Lord. But I'm compelling you in your life. The Holy Spirit will show you right now, right now, no doubt you're sitting there going, okay, there's this area of my life that I really need to make some adjustments. Right? I could tell you as I'm preaching right now, there's an area in my life that God is talking to me right now that I need to make some adjustments in. Right? Now, I know that might shock you. Well, Pastor Tony, there's Jesus and there's Pastor Tony. Well, you're right. I'm in him, but, but man, I am a work in progress. If you don't believe me, I'd say to ask my wife, but you know, guess what? My wife would never throw me under the bus. Ever. So I guess you can't really ask my wife. You could ask, well, you know, Pastor Dave, actually, gosh, all these people I'm around, they would never throw me under the bus. Right? Teresa might tease me about being a little older. You knew I was going to say that, right? That's all right. She just needs more information. Many people today are looking to the person of Jehovah Jireh, but their needs are not met because they're not in the right place, maybe in their attitudes, their relationship, their commitment to God. There's different things. This is huge. For us to unlock and experience the full provision of God, we must know that God is Jehovah Jireh, and we must obey him to get in the right place. I got to read this to you because the Lord said this to me years ago. Jehovah Jireh is about being in the right place at the right time with the right heart doing the right thing so that you can have all the blessings and victory of God overtake you on a constant basis. That's the place of Jehovah Jireh. Amen?